Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So please take a minute and visit NBCOcala.com stories to tell us your story. And if God has used this ministry to touch your life in any way, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. Help us to continue delivering God's word to the world. You can give online or through our mobile giving app. Enjoy today's message. Help me welcome our online audience. So glad that you could join us. It's going to be a good one. Merry Christmas. Well, you can be seated. How are y'all doing? Merry Christmas to y'all as well. How about this weather? <laughs> Last weekend I said, I don't know if you remember, I said I'm a cold weather guy. So this weekend is like a vitamin to my body. It's just like, this is what it's all about. And I told my wife a couple weeks ago, I said, this has to be like the, the warmest December like in recent years. And she's like, no, it's always like this. I said, no, it's not. And then that day on the Weather Channel, they were talking about how along the East Coast, there's been over a thousand different records broken for like how many warm days and in different areas. And so when I woke up yesterday morning and, and felt the weather, I was like, this is good. Now, the, the bad news is it's not going to last this way till Christmas, but at least it feels like Christmas today as we're celebrating and church attendance and weather have weird correlations. I hope y'all know that. Of course y'all know that because y'all are the ones attending. Like if it's raining here in Florida, y'all sleep in. Y'all don't want to go anywhere. If it's cold, you want to stay home and be cozy and drink coffee, right? And then when it's pretty out, y'all want to hit the lake or do something fun. But I believe you're going to be blessed for being in church today and making that a priority and that you, there's no better place you could be right now. But um, if you're with us today for the first time, my name's Lee Gilligan. I'm one of the, the pastors here at Meadowbrook, and it's always a, a privilege to be able to stand up here and to, to share with y'all what I feel God has put on my heart. Um, and as most of you know, this Tuesday marks four weeks that my dad fell off his roof while decorating Christmas lights. He uh, sustained a, a, a fracture. Well, really, he shattered his left arm, fractured his L1 vertebrae, underwent surgery for the arm. He's in a brace for his back, and... Um, He's making great progress. He's, he's making great strides, and every day is a little bit better, you know, day by day. He's managing the pain well. His spirits are good. He started therapy. He's even starting to get out and about, and uh, went to my brother's basketball game last week, so that was kind of a big deal. He sat the whole time, but he was there. And then uh, most of y'all didn't know this. Last week, people kept saying, how's your dad? How's your dad? I said, well, actually, he's here. But he, uh, he snuck in on Saturday, and he snuck in on Sunday. He had to come back for seconds for the production. I knew he wasn't going to be able to just watch online. So he was here, and he enjoyed that. He sat in the sound booth and cried like a baby the whole time. Uh, but I have some pictures of him just lately, so y'all can still remember what he looks like. <laughs> there he is. Him and Mom have been trying to get out and walk every day. It's good for his progress. And then that's him with one of our teachers at the academy uh, the other night at the basketball game. And then here's another one. This was last weekend at the production, um, and the one on the, I guess it's right, that's him. He got to go down and greet the choir, and of course he started crying like a baby again. But here's the problem is he's, in his head, mentally, he's totally 100%. Spiritually, he's 100%. He is is ready to go. He's got sermons brewing and ideas, and so when he comes back, you guys better watch out. In fact, if you follow him on Facebook or Twitter, then you've noticed lately, and if you don't, you should follow him, because usually he just posts like a quote or something, and lately it's been like full sermons. He is just like (laughs) overflowing. (laughs) 
And I believe that's not by accident. God always does something beautiful amid, amidst something that the, the enemy went for, uh, meant for destruction. And so he is, he is getting ready. And the thing is, you know, physically, he's still got a, a journey to go. So the doctors have given him like a tentative date where he could return. But as he mentioned a few weeks ago in the video, he wants to be back as soon as his wise. You know, we don't want him back just because he re- he's released, but we want him back when he's well. So specific, people asking what you could pray for. Pray for his energy or his endurance, um, because I, he probably could get up here and teach one message, but to do three mornings or, you know, three messages over the morning, it just, it wipes him out. And um, he, he's just, you know, pain is, is okay. His spirits are great, but his energy and his endurance. And then, you know, still dealing with a lot of discomfort um, as a result. But uh, keep them in your prayers. Keep mom in your prayers. She's the full-time 24-7 nurse for him. And uh, we'll keep y'all updated as we go. Some more pictures, maybe do another video update. He might even show up and attend service. You never know. Uh, but uh, we're just so grateful for, for your outpouring of love. And he said, if you've been sending cards, keep sending them. He reads every word, and he is grateful for that. But a good reminder to, to be praying for them is on your way out today, be sure to grab uh, one of our family Christmas cards. The Dream Team should be distributing those. And you can place one of those on your fridge, and that way you got his face right in front of you and could be praying for our family. So anyways, how many of y'all were here last weekend for Light, Christmas at Meadowbrook? Did y'all enjoy that? truly was an incredible uh, weekend, and we had six services over the Saturday and Sunday. We saw uh, nearly 10,000 people come through in attendance, and you know, that's impressive, but I don't celebrate that just because it's a high number. I celebrate it because that means 10,000 people got to sit here and hear the true meaning of the season. That 10,000 people went on a journey and heard the story about Jesus and that we have a Savior, and that, that's, that's what's so impacting to me. And I, uh, beyond just the number of attendants, the stories that are coming in of people who, who made decisions for Christ. Um, I had a lady come up to me after the first service on Saturday. She's probably in her 60s, I would guess, and, and she was crying. And she said, I've been a devout Jew my entire life. She said, and tonight I prayed that prayer and I invited Jesus into my life. And so I know heaven rejoices with her. I rejoice with her. To me, that was the icing on the cake. That was the highlight. That's why we do what we do. And you know, she's just one of many stories that we're hearing of people who were eternally impacted by, by what happened last weekend. And if you uh, were here and you want to experience it again, or if you missed out, you can go on our website or you can go on Facebook, and that video is available to you. So share that amongst your friends and family this next week or so, and uh, we're just really grateful for, for what God did. Um, want to keep you reminded of our schedule for the remainder of the year. We only have two services left, say two. Two. And today is one of those. So today and then next Sunday, the 27th, we'll be here. As many of you have heard, we're not doing a Christmas Eve service this week. Uh, not doing a Wednesday midweek service. Traditionally, we have, and so some people have been kind of bummed about that. But this year, th- this, was, this was our thinking and our reasoning behind the decision was that to have a, a weekend like last weekend, a full-blown production and service with his six services, so many people to host, uh, that was a lot of pre-preparation, weeks of practices and rehearsals, not just for staff, but for countless dream team. And that doesn't just affect those people, but that affects their families as well. And so we figured to honor the sacrifice that everyone made to make that happen, and really this whole month long, that we were going to uh, make family and rest a priority this week and allow families to truly celebrate that holiday with their family. So we thank you for your understanding and that. And you know what? There's no shame. If you, if you want to attend a, a candlelight service or a, a Christmas Eve service, there's plenty of great churches in town. And, and so we give you full permission. We're, we're all on the same team. You all know that, right? 
So you can hop over there and do that. And then we'll see you back next Sunday. Pastor Tom is going to be bringing an awesome word. There will be no teaching on the 30th. Uh, that's a midweek service. And then we will kick off January 3rd with Pastor Bernard Scott from our summer series. He was supposed to be here today. In fact, I was wondering if some of y'all thought I looked a lot paler than he did. <laughs> we had a schedule mishap, so him and I swapped. But if you've never heard him or if you have heard him, be here because he's an incredible teacher and an incredible friend to this church house. But guess what? Today is December 20th. Today you're here. I'm here. It's Christmas time. What do you say we get into the Word? All right. Well, are y'all ready for Christmas? That is the question. (laughs) I hope you're ready. How many are not ready? We've got a few who still aren't ready. You know, this is the time of the year where we have our lists. Uh, We've got stuff to shop for, things to wrap, uh, presents to buy, stuff to bake, to cook. Uh, If you've got in-laws, you know know the, the balance of doing, you know, Christmas at different houses and hosting parties and decorating and all the things that come with it, it can be a very chaotic season if we let it. And, um, you know, this year was kind of chaotic for us. We usually are decorated at the house probably a month before Christmas. We're like pre-Thanksgiving people. And um, that, when my dad had his accident, that really was the thing that kind of soured it for me. I was like, I don't want to decorate. And so we, we ended up a couple weeks ago, we decorated our porch. There was no ladders involved, no roofs involved. <laughs> And uh, it actually turned out quite nice. My mom, as I mentioned, she's been with my dad 24-7 since his fall. And, you know, just because he, he needs help with a lot of different things right now. And so she's been his support. And uh, she called me last week. She said, if you, want, if you guys want to have a Christmas, she's like, y'all need to, someone needs to come watch your dad so I can actually get out of town and try to shop for something. So the Christmas miracle happened, and I think we're going to have a Christmas. But for you, if you're not ready by now, you're just not going to be ready. You're just going to have to go with the flow. And the question that we hear around this time of year, the question we hear all the time, we love to hear it, we love to answer it, we wait for someone to ask it, is this question. What do you want, right? What do you want? If I were to ask you right now, what is it that you want for Christmas, even most of you trying to be humble, you'd still probably have a couple things on that list that you say you'd want. And, and I think we're all big kids. It's okay to want stuff. That's not bad as long as it's within reason. Now we, we have to remember life's not all about stuff. It's not all about material things, but it's okay to give and receive gifts. But in the grand scheme of life, we have to step back and realize that there's more. You know, Pastor Tom just a minute ago was talking about giving and receiving. And last week at the production, they played that video where Pastor Ryan interviewed all the little kids around the table. And he asked the one group, he said, is it better to give or to receive? And right away, a little girl said, it's better to give. And he said, can we just be honest? And she goes, okay, receive or get or something like that. And I think inside, if we don't watch ourselves, we're all still little kids. We all love getting stuff. And if we're not careful, the answer to that question, what do you want, usually goes like something like this. I want more. (laughs) I want more. It's ingrained in our culture. It's really ingrained in us. We we can be selfish human beings. And as we grow in the things of God, then we learn what humility is and, and generosity and those types of things, living selflessly. But what if the answer to that question was not, I want more, but it was, I want to do more? What if the, the, the answer was not, I want more stuff, but I want to do more with what I already have? Not, I want more material things, but I want to make a difference. I want, I want to be used. I want to do something big. How many of y'all desire to be used in a big way? Every one, of, every one of us should have our hands up. I know that in our core, we were designed not to sit on the sidelines. We're designed with a desire to know that something we've done with our life makes a difference. 
that it's impacted somebody for the better, that, that, that we have marked this world and that we have brought glory to our Father. I believe that's an innate desire that we have. And you know how I know that is because the God of the universe who created us, He desires that for us. So He has placed that desire within us. And beyond what we could ever uh, imagine or hope to do, He wants to do that and more. He has bigger dreams for us than we could ever comprehend, and He wants to do big things through us. You guys are quiet today. <laughs> Pastor, Pastor Tom said he hoped y'all got more crazy. I'm giving you permission to be a little more crazy. I know it's the first service, but y'all should have had some coffee by now, and, and we've got a lot to celebrate. So it's all right if y'all want to shout me down a bit. But God wants to use us in a big way. And I think a lot of times what happens is we sideline ourselves, either out of um, condemnation or discouragement or excuses. And we come up with reasons why we're not eligible to do something big. But God, he has called us to do something big, and, and he has put that within us. And I think when we look at the Christmas story, there's some very encouraging elements to confirm that that desire is in us and that God will do big things when we let him. So let's go to a familiar passage, Luke chapter 2, and we're going to pick up in verse 1. And it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house in the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear." And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. And that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. <laughs> y'all, y'all have heard that. You've heard that story before. We hear this passage this time of year, especially. We've heard Linus from from Charlie Brown Christmas recite it, and this it really is the, the the core of the Christmas message. And I think when we hear the story of Christmas, we are aware that there are impl- implications. There are there are things that happen as a result of what God did through this miracle. That God sent his only son, Jesus, the entrance of a savior to this world, who, as I said last week, came in a wooden manger to live a perfect life and ultimately die a death on a wooden cross. But that wasn't the end because then he rose again. And because of that, there are implications. Now, I think we are uh, immediately mindful of the eternal implications. That because of the work that happened, because of what God did, now available to us is salvation, right? Now, available to us is, is the, the option to live eternally with our Father in heaven. That, that's an incredible implication as a result of the Christmas story. Secondly, there are earthly implications, things that happen here on this earth, that yes, we, we can have salvation later, but here there are things that are available to us, things that, that because of what Jesus did, right now we can take hold of. We talked about that last week, that this may be a crazy world, but a Savior came to bring peace. This may be a dark world, but a Savior came to bring light, right? 
And that light has sought us out. And so there's uh, eternal implications. There are earthly implications. And then today, really, what I want to talk about is what I believe to be a very personal implications, something for each and every one of us. And it has directly to do with God using us in a big way. You see, when we read the Christmas story, we see ultimately that God chose an ordinary girl in an obscure, out-of-the-way place to do the greatest miracle he would ever do. He chose an ordinary girl in a a place like Bethlehem, in a manger, not not in the light, not not for everyone to see. And and, and in in this obscure, ordinary uh, set of possibilities, he does something that will ultimately change the course of history and alter the course of eternity. Do you all see how that could have personal implications for us? This is what I want you to get. The Christmas story shows us that God does big things through ordinary means. God does big things through ordinary means. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. If you're on Facebook, I want that to be your status. If you're, if you're on Twitter, I want you to tweet that. If you've got a Sharpie, write it on your arm. Just get that in, in your head that, that one of the things we don't often think about is, is because of what he did through a girl in this small village, sending his own son as, as God in flesh, it shows us that God operates a lot of times through the ordinary to do the spectacular. So that's good news for us that he wants to do big things through us. No matter how broken we are, no matter how flawed we are, no matter how ordinary, he chooses us. You say, why would God, who with his with his, his breath and with the snap of a finger could do whatever he wants, why would he choose ordinary broken people? And this is what I believe. One, it gives us a a, a part to partner with him or to take part in something big that he's doing. But secondly, and most importantly, is when God works this way, we can only boast in him. You get that? That God will always receive the glory. The glory is not ours. The glory is not anyone else's. We can't boast in our own strength. When God works through us, only he receives the glory. We can only boast in him. And when he uses us to the degree that he wants to use us, there is no way we could ever take the credit. There is no way we could say that. That would be pride, and I would, I would be as bold as to say, then don't expect him to use you much more because our God receives all the glory. And we need to humble ourselves and realize that we play a part, and he wants to do big things through us. So looking at the Christmas story, I want to go through three different things. I'm going to get to talk about who he will use, and that's you. I'm going to talk about where he will use you and when he will use you. So let's look at this girl, Mary, this ordinary girl that he chose. And let's go to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read verse, uh, picking up in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now you have to realize that in this moment, Mary has every reason in the world to be absolutely terrified. 
She has every reason to be scared, to be fearful, to be questioning what's even taking place, what she's just heard. And if, you, if you've read in Scripture or, or ever talked to someone who's had this encounter, when someone encounters an angelic being, an angel, there's often a, a feeling of terror at first. This is not something that is normal to us, and there's such a sense of awe that, that it, it can evoke fear. And so I have to wonder that, that Mary, this, this young girl, when Gabriel appears to her, that she is somewhat even questioning the reality of this situation. And then going on, let, let's look at this. She's a young, ordinary girl, and she's just been told that she will give birth to the Messiah. Now, never mind the fact that it's the Messiah, that that's big enough in and of itself, but the fact that she's told she's going to give birth to a baby. You see, she's a virgin, and that's what she says. How will this be? I'm a virgin. She's never been with a man. She's not even married to her husband. So she immediately has to be uh, over, overwhelmed with the questions of how will this work? And then secondly, the, the fear of what will people think? What will people say? What will people do? Like, what, what, how will this play out? But Gabriel tells her, he says, Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. Do not be afraid. Later in verse 38, she says, I'm your servant and and let it be. She agrees that even despite her fears, even despite her questions, that she will go along with this plan that God is ready to set into motion. You see, Mary is is a great example for us uh, uh, what it means to be obedient despite fear, to trust in God even when stuff doesn't make sense in the natural. And, And so often, what happens in our life is we want to do something big. We feel like God has put something on our heart to do, but immediately we're overwhelmed with the fears. We're overwhelmed with the questions. What will people say? What will people think? What will they do? Uh, I'm not qualified. I'm not good enough to do this. Maybe this is just crazy thinking. Maybe God doesn't really want me to do this. We come up with all this stuff, and we talk ourselves out of even taking that first step, and ultimately that's fear. It's a plan of the enemy to keep us right where we're at, to keep us paralyzed, and to keep us from even taking that first step. But as we see from Mary, fear, it's normal. But we can say, you know what? I am your servant. Let it be. I will do as you've asked me to do. And so you say, why did God choose Mary? Why why would he choose this ordinary girl? And and if God receives glory in everything, and if he uses ordinary people to, to take away all human boasting, then he chose Mary ultimately so that no one could take credit for the conception of Jesus. You know, no man would say, that's my boy. That's my son. No, he, he, he chose this ordinary girl, and that was the way that he chose to bring about the Savior of the world. And, and, and here's the deal, is we have fears, but I'll show you why they're really irrational, is, is because of this. My dad, he's told this story to myself over the years. He's told this story to our staff. He may have even shared it in the pulpit. But years ago, before this building was even constructed, not the second half. Most of y'all don't know this building is like, it was originally this half, and then we doubled it. So when the first half was being constructed, he was walking around. There was no one here. It was late one night. He was praying. And he said he was just kind of overwhelmed with some questions, some fears, some anxieties, just in, in the grand scheme of all that was going on. And he said he felt like God impressed on his heart. He said, are you going to take the glory for this when it's all done? And he said, no, of course not. And then God said, then don't take the care of it now. And that is huge for each and every one of us. When all is said and done, when God does something big through us, we're not going to take the glory. We're not going to take the praise. So why should we take the care of it now? Why should we shoulder fear that, that, that doesn't need to be there? If, if the glory goes to him and all boasting is in his mercy and in his grace, then realize we're just a piece We're just a piece in the puzzle. We're just the clay. He wants to use us, and what he's called us to, he will equip us to do. What he's called us to do, he will walk us through. And we get to take part in that, but ultimately all glory goes to him. 
Don't let fear stop you from doing something big. Don't let it happen. And just as, as Gabriel said to Mary, he said, do not be afraid. You are favored. Today, I want to tell you guys, do not be afraid. You are favored, and God will use you in a big way. Let's go on and look at where he will use us. And so specifically from the Christmas story, I want to, I want to look at Bethlehem. Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 6 says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of this house in the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. So we, we know this as, as the birth setting uh, of Jesus, the city of, uh, of Bethlehem. And a lot of times we, we think of it as famous, but at the time of his birth, it really was nothing more than just a village. Um, it, it wasn't this prestigious mecca of all this stuff that was going on. Uh, really, the only reason they were there was because Joseph reported there to register under the census decree of Caesar Augustus. That's why they were there. And it was during that time that the birth of Jesus happened. And so you say, well, why would God choose this small out-of-the-way village then? Why, why would he, this be the birthplace? And again, it goes back to who receives the credit. God chose Bethlehem so no man could boast in the greatness of his city. No one could say, my city is so great, there's so much happening here, it's just such a hopping spot that this is why the Savior of the world came here. No, it was obscure. It was out of the way. No one would expect the Messiah to come in that way. But again, God receives the glory. So let's look closer. We know that it was the, the location was Bethlehem, but where exactly was he born? Stable, manger. I think I'm hearing it. Y'all are kind of like, huh? <laughs> A stable and a manger. We've seen the nativities. We've seen the, the cute little, uh, it looks like a perfectly little constructed barn with cute animals all around. It's just, oh, that's such a cute setting. And I think a lot of times that those images have uh, distorted our view of what exactly, uh, where he was born. Luke 2, 7 says, She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Now, what you have to realize is that Bethlehem is a pretty rocky place. And this stable could have been on, on the back of the end, but a lot of scholars believe that it could, actually could have been away for, farther away from the end, like on the hillside. And because of the rocky terrain, there, there's thought that it was not like a, a stable or a barn, but more so a, a cave or a grotto, that it was actually in rock. And so call it a barn, call it a grotto, call it a, a cave, a stable, call it really whatever you want. The point is animals were kept there. And I don't think it was the cute little sheep and goat and, and, and uh, donkey or llama or whatever else we see in there. Were there llamas back then? I'm sure there were. <laughs> but call it what you want, animals were kept there. That's not a very ideal place for the savior of the world to be born. But again, God chose a stable so that no man could boast of his end. Don't, are you starting to see the pattern? Like, he works through the ordinary to do big things, and none of us get the glory. And then going on, the Greek term for manger is only listed in the New Testament four times. Three of those times is in Luke's narrative of the Christmas story. Um, it's translated to stall. It really was probably a feeding trough. So again, there's no glamour in that. And God chose a manger so that no woodworker could boast of his craftsmanship. And so I look at this, I look at the location of where he was brought about, and really I equate that to status. You know, we, we all are, are from somewhere. We all, most of us here probably live in Ocala. We all have different jobs, different backgrounds, different levels of experience, different, all kinds of stuff that, that make up our status, who we are. And I think it's very dangerous when we let status or location stop us from doing something big. 
I've heard so many kids and so many teenagers over the years who say, well, the first thing I'm doing when I graduate is getting out of Ocala. Uh, you know, there's nothing happening here. Or, 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 you know, I'm only going to CFCC because I don't know what I want to major in yet. My parents are making me go to college. I've heard that stuff. And Ocala is actually a pretty incredible place. I, I love Ocala. I am grateful to be called to this community. But I've heard too many excuses about a small town or excuses about, well, I'm not educated or I haven't seen enough of the world or my position doesn't dictate that I should be able to do anything big. We all look at our status and who we are, and God's not looking at any of that. He, said, he knows we're ordinary. He knows we're broken. He knows we're nothing without him, but yet he wants to do something big. And so today I want to let you know, do not let your status stop you from doing something big. Do not let your location, do not let your experience, don't let, let that stop you. God sees you as worthy. He's called you, and, and go where he has called you, because I believe you are where he wants you to be. Don't take that for granted. Be grateful and be obedient. Amen? Let's look at when he will use us. And this specifically, I think, has to do with age. Um, it's not a new thing that there's insecurity attached to youth. Uh, I, you know, I, and specifically, I'll talk to the younger people right now. That, that, you know, I've heard people who deal with, you know, well, how, why would God ever use me? Or I can't do that because I'm too young. Well, that's not a new thought. That's not a new thing. When we look at Scripture, we see that over and over again. Look at David. He was a, a shepherd boy, and, and many times he was just left in the pastures while his brothers went to go into battle or to do other things. He was the youngest of, of, of the eight. And even when Samuel came to uh, anoint the, the new king of Israel, Jesse, his father, didn't even bring him out in front of, of, of the prophet. He brought out his seven other sons, the ones he thought were most qualified or equipped, and Samuel said, Where, where's the other one? Isn't there another one? And so they brought out David, and he was appointed the new king of Israel from that day forward. And, and, and so what you have to realize is, yeah, he was young, but, but God chose an ordinary boy who was going to go on and do great things. He, he, he slayed the Philistine giant. And when we look at, at the life of David, was he perfect? No. Did he make mistakes? Yeah, he made plenty. Um, in fact, he, in many instances, could be an example for mistakes for us not to make. But that didn't stop God from using him in a big way. You look at Timothy. He, he mentored under Paul and was stepping into ministry. But so many times uh, he w- had a spirit of fear and timidity and an- anxiety because of his youth. You look at the, the boy who Jesus used his lunch to multiply and feed the, the thousands. He took a little boy, a, a, a young ordinary boy who just brought his lunch and showed up to this event. Jesus is preaching. He's performing miracles. And the disciples come and say, we don't have enough food to feed the people. He took this boy's lunch, the boy was obedient, gave him the lunch, and he multiplied that and used it to do a great miracle. Your age does not matter. Now let's look specifically at the Christmas story. Mary, okay? Scholars believe she was around 12 or 13 when she was carrying the Messiah. 12 or 13. Put that in today's terms. That's pretty crazy. And so you can only imagine the insecurity and the fears and and the speculation and things that, that she was dealing with. But specifically, I want to look at Jesus. That God would do the greatest work he would ever do through his own son, but he sent him to be a man. And all that Jesus accomplished, what we have to realize is he accomplished it in 30-something years of life. That's relatively young. Uh, the, the, I, I know he was God in flesh. I know he was perfect, but he still experienced temptations like we did. He still experienced emotions like we did. So I have to think he would have experienced some level of insecurity through different parts of his ministry. But we fast forward, and from the age of 30 to 33-ish, that was his ministry leading up to his death. And and what we see is that God did—we have the most incredible teacher, the most incredible example of a servant leader, the Savior, what he did in that short amount of time. Don't tell me that God can't work through someone young. 
I, to put it personal, I turned 30 this week. Uh, what day was that? So you, you knew I've turned a corner because I don't remember what day it was. I turned 30 this week. And there's plenty of days where I, where I wake up and I feel like I'm not qualified. Like, like who am I? What, what, what do I know? What experience do I have? And then I think about it. It said God used his own son around the same age. And I'm not comparing myself to Jesus. But what I'm saying is it's not about me. God will receive the glory, and if he's put me in a place, then I just want to be obedient. I want him to be pleased. I want people to be helped, and therefore, I don't need to worry about my age, my status, any of that stuff. I need to trust God. So if you're young, it's a lie to say that your youth should hold you back from doing something big. Now, on the opposite side, let me talk to the older people. This doesn't mean you have to be old, just that you feel older. Maybe you feel like your prime is behind you. Like, like, like you've peaked and there, there's maybe no more blossoming for you to have. It's kind of downhill from here. And you feel like because of that, that, that God wouldn't use you, uh, you know, after you've turned this corner. Or that for whatever reason, you don't relate with younger people how you used to. And you just feel like, you know, what, what could God use me for? But again, I believe that's a lie. You look at Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb and Abraham and, and some of these great leaders in Scripture. And they were advanced in age. But specifically, someone in the Christmas story that I think we overlook is Elizabeth. And I want you to go to Luke chapter 1, verse 36 through 38. It says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and, and is in the sixth month with her who was, also, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And then that's when Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then Gabriel departed from her. And so here's Mary, full of fear, full of questions. And the angel says to her, your relative, Elizabeth, who's much older in age, who is barren, is now in her sixth month of pregnancy with child, who is John the Baptist. God was doing a miracle through this older woman, something that was said to be impossible. He was doing this miracle. And he would receive the glory for that and bring about one of the most incredible people who would ever be born. But the, the thing I want you to take note of is that uh, Gabriel is using this miracle to build the faith and build the, uh, the, the courage of Mary. That's what's so incredible uh, uh, about miracles and testimonies is that they're not just for us, but God will use what he did in our life to build someone else's faith and to say, if I did it for them, I can do it for you. And so whether you're young, whether you're old, wh- wherever you're from, whatever fears you have, I want to tell you, do not let age stop you from doing something big. God wants to use you. Now, as we wrap up, let me just seal it up with this, is we get so worried and, and focused about qualifications. That's something that, that has its place in society. You know, we have to have certain qualifications for different jobs and, and different careers and, and certain academic qualifications. And so often we let qualifications be the thing that, that stop us from being used by God. I'm not good enough. I, I don't know enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm, I'm not educated enough. I'm, I'm located in the wrong place. But God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. God doesn't call you because you're qualified. He qualifies you when he calls you. He saved us knowing that we were broken and we were incomplete and that we could do nothing apart from him. So when he calls us, he's inviting you to take part in something with him. And he says, I will qualify you. Yes, criticism, uncertainty, inadequacy, fear of change, all those things are real, but we can't let those stop us from doing what God has called us to do. Because being used by God in no way reflects our goodness or our perfection, but it only speaks of his grace and his mercy. He wants to use you. 
He wants to do something big. He chose us freely and unconditionally to stop all human boasting. And if God would birth the Savior of the world, the Messiah, through a young, ordinary virgin, just imagine what he wants to birth in your life. Are you willing to let him take part and do that? Are you willing to lay aside your fears and your excuses to partner with God and allow him to do something big? The Christmas story shows us that God does big things through ordinary means. Amen? Did you get anything at all out of this today? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.